Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9 and 11 a.m. at the main campus and 11 a.m. at the Monk's Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. We hope that God blesses you through doing so. I don't know if you've grown up in church your whole life. I know that I've been going to church for my whole life, practically, right? And whether you've been here one week, one month, one year, 10 years, 20 years, did you know that if we were really honest with ourselves this morning, that most of us in this room carry weight that we don't need to carry? There's things in our life that we don't have to carry. And this morning, I want to do this because I was so excited about presenting this word this morning because I think that maybe this is kind of where we're living. And there's so many struggling right now that they don't have to struggle anymore. And so my hope is that as you came into this service today, maybe with weight and you're carrying a lot of things, that you will leave this service different. Leaving some weights maybe at the altar. Maybe leaving some weights with the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't do it anymore. So we're going to pray in just a moment that God will help us do that. Amen. We're going to press on this morning. And I want you to turn with me as you stand to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. And I believe that God's word is so timely. His timing is always perfect. Have you noticed that in life? And my prayer today is that this word of God is timely in your life. As you hear it this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7 says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. Listen to these words. We are hard pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Lord, we thank you that today is a day that you have made. But Lord, it is a day that we can always come to you with the difficult things in life. And I pray that this morning as we hear this word, that we would be accountable to your word and be responsible for this word that we hear. That if we need to lay some things down this morning, that we would be able to do that. Maybe things that we've been carrying for a week or two weeks, whatever it may be, God, this morning, that we could lay it down at your feet and realize that we need to press on in life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. You know, I heard this statement one time as you be seated. When the going gets tough, the tough goes shopping. How many ladies are with me this morning? Yes. Okay, just scratch that, okay? You can't can't do that. But we always kind of buy into that, right? Because it always feels good. Uh, When we're stressed out, we have, we go fishing, we go hunting, we do all these things. But you know what? Sometimes we do this. We get so used to doing that that we forget that we can go to Jesus Christ. And as I point out this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes these words because he writes them, he understands them, he lived them. Listen to some of the things that he had gone through. You see, in spite of Paul's glorious gospel, some at the Corinth, that, that what he was uh, speaking to, the Corinth church, you know what? They thought he was a little unimpressive. 
They hadn't gone through all the things that Paul had gone through. So he begins to tell them the things that he went through and lets them understand, listen, you've got to rely upon Jesus Christ. And when you look at his life, Paul's life, you'll understand this. He was in prison often, right? He had incredible jail ministry. He, He received from the Jews five times he was flogged, meaning he had received 195 stripes on his back. He was beaten with rods, stone, and left for dead in the depths of the sea. He was shipwrecked three times. I mean, he was on Titanic three times and he lived. (laughs) Think about it. He was robbed. He He knew what hunger and thirst was. He knew what nakedness and cold was. He was falsely accused by his own brethren. Yet in the midst of the troubles and the trials in life, the Apostle Paul declares this confident declaration. I am struck down, but I am not destroyed. I think that's something that each and every one of us in this room can grab a hold of this morning and say, you know what, when I leave this place today, I'm going to buy into that. I might be struck down, but I am not destroyed. That's where I want to live. Things may happen in your life. The disappointments may happen. You've been, this week's been maybe a horrible week. This month has been a horrible month. This year's been a horrible year. But guess what? You may be struck down, but you are not destroyed. You need to hear that this morning. Amen? Say yes, I need to hear that this morning. You know, six years after Paul wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and what, he, he said this. He said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He knew what it was to press on. You see, in this particular passage and text that we're dealing with this morning, Paul Paul dealt with the differences of the Corinthian church in his life. And he pointed out that the messenger was a vessel carrying precious contents. And the treasure is something that we have as a body of Christ. That is, not just Paul, but all Christians, the treasure is in all of us. Remember what it says? But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, he was saying, let me just break it down. This vessel that we have, that represents you and I. We are that vessel. And then the treasure that is in this vessel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth, the light that is planted in each and every one of us. That is the truth, the gospel. So he's saying you may have this vessel, you may have this treasure in this vessel, but guess what? It could be broken, it can be shaken, all these things can happen to it, but you've got to press on in life. You see, earthen vessels in that day and age were a common place virtually in every home in the area, in the ancient world and you always had they would they would store stuff in it they'd have stuff in it and and they were very inexpensive and easily broken clay was very common in that time and so when when a vessel broke you just discarded of it you just threw it away and it was out 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 of out of sight even the orientals would would keep their valuables and money in jars and they might put a bunch of possessions in this jar and hide it away in case of danger and, and, and it would be buried maybe underground I had an uncle once, I, I don't know why, a great uncle, and he used to take his money and bury it in his yard. And I'm thinking, I might buy the place after he's gone, just, just to do some digging around. And You know what I'm saying? But he used to do that. He'd tell me all kinds of stories. He said, I'd never take it to the bank, I'd bury it in the yard. I'm like, I hope you write this stuff down. 
But it reminded me of this treasure that each and every one of us have in our life. That we might be easily broken, we think, but what is inside of our life gives us the strength that we need to carry on each and every day. So God has chosen, as ministers of his gospel, earthen vessels, you and I. Not angels or celestial beings, not heavenly vessels, but earthly men and women. That we are frail, that we are imperfect, that we are simple, we are weak, and we are unimpressive. But he chooses each and every one of us. Isn't that incredible? He knows all that, but he still chooses us. So as you're walking through this difficult time in life, realize you're not the only one. Everybody goes through difficult times in life. I remember um, several years ago when I first got married, we were living in a parsonage. I called it the box. And this box that we lived in had two, two bedrooms. We, we added on a third at some point. Real small, but very nice. We were so thankful for it. And that's where we kind of got our start in ministry. And I remember that they had a second parsonage there on the church property. And we were able to move into it. It was a bigger uh, a little bit more space. We were, we were going to have kids and we thought this would be great. So we were literally going to move as far as you could throw a rock, about 150 yards. And um, so we we're packing up trailers, packing up boxes. And I remember just trailer after trailer going into this new house. And I remember carrying this box. I'm thinking, man, it kind of sounds like glass or something. You ever had, it sounded, and I'm like, I wonder what this is. And you know how things get just real heavy on you. And you're like, if I can make it about 10 more steps, I'm going to be safe. But if, if something happens, I'm in, I'm in deep water right now. Well, I remember instead of grabbing it from underneath, I grabbed it on the side. And as I'm carrying it, all of a sudden I step off the trailer and I'm walking and the bottom gives out. And crashing to the ground is my wife's from her grandmother, German Dishes. And you're feeling me, guys. I appreciate that. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I can't glue these back together. She is going to kill me. All her German did, not all of them, thank God, but there were like five or six of them broken. I'm thinking, I have to tell her. I, I, I felt like I had this treasure, right? These vessels that could easily be broken. And I, I just, all over the place right there. I know what it's like, I guess you could say, as we walk through life to be these vessels that God has chosen. Sometimes it's, there's pressure and we seem so breakable. We seem like I'm so weak at this time in my life. But do you know what? That what's inside of us gives us the strength to carry on each day and each day. You see, the vessel is not allowed to be broken until it has done its work. That's the way the Lord looks at us. I want you to get your work done on earth. Before you were ever broken. And so these vessels, you and I, are set on this earth. We are God's handiwork. They are God, in God's hands to be three things, real quick, as you follow your eye. They are to be filled. God wants to fill each and every one of us. With His presence, with His power, all those things to fill us. But it's not only about being filled, it's about being poured out. And He wants to pour us out. And be able to help people, to serve people, to love people. All those things. And then sometimes we are shaken. The vessel is shaken. Our lives are shaken. But did you know that the shaking of the vessel often makes the contents more useful? 
Think about it. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, it says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. In the men's fraternity, we are going through uh, the bait of Satan. And we are talking about, in the bait of Satan, it's John Bevere's book. I want to read you this portion. Uh, and it, it was just this week, and lining up with this sermon, I thought, man, your time is so timely, God. Listen to the words he says, John Bevere. As sure as the seasons come and go, we can be certain that we will experience seasons of shaking in our lives. These are God-ordained times of testing designed to shake out every quality in our character that is contrary to the character of Christ. Satan means it for destruction. God intends it for our construction. Now, let me be very clear this, this morning that I do not believe that God causes harm in our lives. He is not sitting up saying, this is what I want to do in your life. You cannot view God like that. That's not what he does. But I will say this. God allows things in our life. Am I communicating to you this morning? Because I don't want you to think and go away today. Oh, God's causing this. He is allowing it, but there is a purpose behind what's going on in your life. Now think about this. To show how the power of God works in spite of human weaknesses, Paul mentions four crisis situations in which the frail vessel would have failed or been broken, except for the strength from beyond. They were, they were Paul's way of saying this. You may be down, but you are not out. Number one, listen to this. It comes out of verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. I simply said this. It is a proclamation. Stress will not defeat me. I mean, I could take a show of hands this morning, and you know what? Most of us would probably raise our hands and say, you know what? some point during this week, I was stressed out. Right? What does that mean? What does it mean to be hard-pressed? Here's a word study. Troubled. Afflicted. You feel squeezed. Oppressed. To have difficulty, to be pressured in life. The HSE defines stress simply as this. The adverse reaction people have to excessive pressure or other types of demands placed on them. How many had demands placed on you this week? Several people, absolutely. I mean, think about a typical week. There is stress in your life. You wake up every morning, hopefully, every morning, and you go through the same old routine, right? I want to say you wake up by the same old spouse, but that really wouldn't fit, right? You wake up every morning, you go through the same routine in life. You get up, you go to the bathroom, you get the kids up, you get them up, they brush their teeth, and hopefully they haven't gone to the bathroom in the bed, that they wait to go to the bathroom in the bathroom. That always works out a little bit better. You do breakfast for their lunch that day, um, you, you get yourself ready, you get to work, you pick up kids from school, you have your snack, your homework, your baseball practice, and then supper, you play, you read, and you go to bed, and you do it all over again the next day. And I'm stressed just reading it. <laughs> you know what? We're coming up on Mother's Day, and I don't know if I really believe in Mother's Day, and I'll tell you why. Why in the world do we celebrate our moms one time a year? It should be Mother's Year. Yeah. Right? I mean, Mother's Year. And so the stress that you're feeling in life happens, right? It's a part of your everyday life. Now, now there's something that you need to remember, men, because as time, as men are stressed, as women are stressed, I, I found these uh, important facts. Did you know that 40% of women have hurled footwear at a man? So I want to real carefully ask this morning. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, not going there. 
Moms and dads, did you know that if you yelled for eight years, seven months, and six days, that you would produce enough sound energy to produce a cup of coffee? So as you're yelling throughout the week, you just keep pouring that coffee, right? Eight years later, I'm going to have me a nice cup of coffee. Did you know that banging your head against the wall will use about 150 calories an hour? Just going to throw that out there and see if you could use it at some point. But, but let me tell you this. Stress is a part of life. A national survey highlights the anxieties of overwhelmed parents. Did you know that when asked, what is the most stressful part of your life, that 70%, 76% say, it is money. Money stresses me out. And then the others will say, you know what, 70% of the time, it's work is stressing me out. And most parents, about 69% say that their stress doesn't affect their children, but the kids disagree. Nine, did you know that 91% of your kids know, between the ages of 8 and 17, that they know when you're stressed out? They can read it. Did you know what the most stressed out city is? You know where it's at? Los Angeles. And did you know that retirees are the least stressed in America? (laughs) See? So I would like all the retirees to raise your hand. We're going home with you today. (laughs) We're just going to hang out with you for a while. But on a serious note, listen to what stress does. Stress is recognized as the number one proxy killer disease today. The Medical Association has noticed that stress was the basic cause of more than 60% of all human illness and disease. According to lessstress.net. Every week, 95 million Americans suffer some kind of stress-related symptoms for which they have to take medication. And it's estimated that American business loses approximately two to three hundred dollars or two to three hundred billion dollars a year to stress related productivity and the loss and the treatment cost. Man, isn't that doesn't that seem overwhelming to you? That some people are carrying around stress when they really don't have to. And I it simply goes back to this is that if we will just take just two things that I can give you this morning, I believe that I can help eliminate some of your stress this morning, is do two things. Number one, give your troubles to Jesus Christ. So many times we overlook that. When we go through a difficult time, we look, we just want to talk about all our stress, but we never do anything about it. We are hard-pressed. But we are not crushed. And I love 1 Peter 5, 7 because it's been a scripture that I have lived by. Cast all your cares. Cast all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. So if you walk by somebody this morning and you like, they're just throwing all kinds of things. They could be just casting their cares on the Lord. Who knows, right? Just leave them alone and let them do it. But the fact remains is this, is that we have got to take our stress, those hard-pressed areas in our life, and give them to the Lord. And don't keep a hold of them. Number two is expect His comfort. You can expect His comfort. What does the Bible say? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's what it's about. Give them to the Lord and then expect to receive his comfort. That's what his word. His word is truth. Number two, we are perplexed but not in despair in verse eight. What does it simply say? It's a proclamation. Communic complications will not discourage me. 
Now, some of you may have some serious complications in life. What does that really mean? What does it mean to be perplexed? I love this. When you look at the word perplexed, it literally means being at a loss. Now, please don't point any fingers at this time, right? To your spouse, to the one in front of you, like, yeah, he is lost all the time. It's doubting. It's questioning. It's wondering which way to go in life. You don't really have a direction in life, so you're perplexed. And that's usually what happens to each and every one one of us in this room. Is like, all of a sudden, things aren't going like we planned in life. Things aren't turning out like you really expected it when you had planned so well for your life to be this way. Your marriage may be suffering just a little bit. Or maybe a whole lot. Not thinking, hey, I thought this would be an incredible time. The honeymoon's over. You had no idea that you'd be in your 50s or maybe 60s putting on an interviewing suit and going out to get a job again. Or maybe that in your life, becoming a mom, becoming a dad, you didn't realize that raising kids might be so difficult in life. But the way that you planned it is not working out like you wanted it to. You are perplexed. But guess what? You are not in despair. Did you know that God is in control? Nothing that attacked Paul caught God by surprise. Nothing that happens to you is going to catch God by surprise. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine. Paul himself said in Romans chapter 8 verse 26 that sometimes we don't know how to pray. Listen to what he says. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You see, there are moments when the pressure is so great and we are so tired and we are so down and out in life that we become confused and we don't know honestly what to say to the Lord. We don't know what we should do next. And that is what Paul says, that you are perplexed. I want you to remember this. When we are confused, when you are confused, Jesus is not confused. When we are perplexed, God knows everything that needs to happen. All of a sudden in life, because we are perplexed, it opens the door to doubt. And we begin to doubt ourselves, to doubt God's plan, doubt where God wants us to be. And all of a sudden, when we begin to doubt... That door's opened up, and then all of a sudden we begin to question, guess what? Our faith and what God wants to do in our life. Did you know that as you look through the Bible, there's many places in the Bible that that, that men and women doubted. They questioned. And let me just throw out just a few of those to you this morning. Abraham says this. He doubted. He doubted when he left his home country. He doubted and all these things happened along the way. He doubted. But guess what? Doubt ended in Genesis chapter 15 when it says, I believe God's word. By believing God's word, his doubt ended. John the Baptist, he was in prison. And when he was in prison, his disciples came to him and they were wondering who Jesus was. And they asked, John says, I want you to go to this man called Jesus and I want you to ask him, are you the one who's come or should we expect somebody else? And then Jesus answered him and said this, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. 
Guess what? Doubt ended by seeing Christ's miracles, by hearing about his miracles. And did you always notice this, that when there's doubt involved, there's always sometimes a question involved. Peter, disciples are in a boat on a lake. And Jesus is walking out towards them and they are frightened and they think it's a ghost. And they even ask, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out of the boat and all of a sudden a wind comes up. He gets frightened and he begins to seek. And he says, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reaches out his hand and he catches him. And he says this to him, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? Doubt ended by reaching out to Christ. So how does doubt end? Doubt ends by when we believe his word. Doubt ends when we believe and see the miracles that he can perform right in front of us. And doubt ends when we reach out to him. The problem is that we know the first two, but very rarely do we ever reach out to him and say, Lord, I need you. But we can do that in life. Number three, we are persecuted, but not abandoned. In other words, conflict will not frighten me. Conflict will not frighten me. The word study there for persecuted is to drive away, to seek after. You know, the Greeks used to, they, they translated this word persecuted in to means to this, to pursue as a hunter pursues his game. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 5, you'll see Paul there. And listen to the words that he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest. But we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, and fears within. You see, Paul knew about this from personal experience. He knew what it was to be persecuted on the outside. And everywhere he went, his Jewish opponents followed him. Can you imagine that? Everywhere he would go. Everywhere his feet. And they were always there. The naysayers were always there. They stayed on his trail. They persecuted him. Attacking his character. They were mocking his message. They were stirring up opposition inside and outside of the church. And they never gave him a moment's rest. And doesn't that feel like life sometimes, the enemy or whatever it may be, comes against you and you feel like you never get a moment's rest? It's just time and time and time again. You see, the devil always fights the church when the church is on the move. If he's fighting you today, maybe you're on the move into the right place. Maybe you need to realize he's more at work in your life than you could ever imagine him being. And maybe it's looking through a different lens. When you go to the book of Acts, we read that in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord. They were converted. Then what happened? You go to Acts chapter 4 and Satan came in like a lion and had the apostles threatened. In chapter 5, Satan came like a serpent. Influencing Ananias and Sapphira to infect the church with their lying and hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And then here's what happened. If Satan can't win by persecution from the outside, he will try to pollute on the inside of the church. Think about that. He came as the accuser in, in, in chapter 6, when all of a sudden the widows began to accuse the other group of widows for taking over. We're being neglected, they said. Did you know that Satan likes to get the saints to accuse each other? To get them talking against themselves, right? Because he always has a plan in all of that. And then you go to Acts chapter 8, 
and 12, and you begin to realize Satan becomes this murderer. Stephen was stoned. James was killed. And Peter was put into prison to be kept for execution. You see, as believers, you may be persecuted, but you are not forsaken. You are not forsaken in life. We will receive. There's a genuine believer. You know what? You will suffer persecution. What did, what did Jesus say in John 15, 20? If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So get ready for it. And all of a sudden, as we begin to look, Christ suffered persecution. The early church suffered persecution. Today's church, guess what? Believers today, we suffer persecution. It's inevitable. But I can be ready for that persecution. I can be what? I can have the tools necessary to fight that persecution. It may take the form of ridicule today. It may take the form of abuse, slander, gossip, mockery, isolation, violence. It may take place in the home, in the school, at the church, in the marketplace, wherever it may be. It's going to happen. But that only tells me that I need to be ready for the persecution that when it comes, I'm ready. You see, what believers need is not deliverance from persecution, but victory and triumph through persecution. That's what we need. I'm going to go through it, right? I'm going to meet it face on, but I'm going to get through it. And that's why the body of believers, we need each other. I, I like what Bob Jones Sr. says. You know, what? He, he, he was fond of saying the door of opportunity swings on the hinge of opposition. Isn't that good? The door of opportunity swings on the hinge of opposition. I believe Jesus knew this when he, in, in Matthew chapter 28, 19 the, the Great Commission began to say this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And then he says these words, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, that statement is bracketed by two important concepts. All authority... And heaven has been given to me, and we know this, that Jesus has given that authority to each and every one of us. And then he says at the end of that, and surely I am with you always. So wherever you go, whatever you do, guess what? Jesus is with you. And he's given you the authority to overcome no matter what happens in life. You've got to believe that. You've got to know that in life. I remember... Uh, Sunday night, when we give testimony service, and I remember uh, Sister Adams, she would stand up and she would say, well, I'm just glad I'm here today because Satan just almost got me this week. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I ever grew up like it. I mean, and you began to hear those, she, he almost got me. I mean, he did his very best, he almost got me. And I like, I always wanted to stand up as a kid and say, listen, Sister Adams, you've been given authority. You can knock him out. You can take him. You don't have to live with him chasing you and being around you and all that stuff. Listen, God's given you authority. Knock that dude out. Let him go. Use that name, the name of Jesus, the name above all names. And so when we go out into the world and make disciples, remember this. You're not going alone. He says, I'm going with you. I'm right beside you. You can't fail because I am with you wherever you go. Number four, very quickly, we are struck down but not destroyed. Verse nine. I love that statement. I, I, we may be struck down, but we are not destroyed in life. What does that mean? Setbacks will not destroy me. 
Setbacks will not destroy me. The, the word study literally means this. To be laid down, to be cast down in life. You may be a cracked vessel. You may be down. You may be out. But guess what? You are not destroyed in life. I remember going to football practice when I was in high school. And it wasn't to be the water boy. Because I know you're like, football? What are you talking about? And, and so I remember that we had one of those um, coaches that was just, I mean, he was so, he loved the game of football. He was like, um, you didn't mess with him. He was, I'm going to guess that he was probably in his late 50s, 60s. And um, he was so serious about football and he would come and talk to us and he would, his fingers were curled up. I have no idea why. And he'd talk to us just like this. And he'd look at us. I was scared to death. It's where I learned to say, yes, sir. You never said, yeah. He'd look at you. What'd you say? Yes, sir. And you, and he would sit there like this. Now, man, today, what we're going to do, and he would begin to all these things. He was a very serious man. He's very stoic. I mean, he, had, he was greatly respected in the football community, I guess you could say. And I mean, he would sit there like that. And he had hair coming out of the back of his T-shirt, shorts on, hairy man. And he was just an incredible guy. I mean, he was really a neat guy. And I remember I had a friend named Shields. I called him Shields. I'll just call him Shields. Shields, we called him Alpo. Because when he was in uh, ninth grade, he was five foot nine, weighed 185 pounds. All the football guys will know this. I'm telling you, he, could, he would run you over. He was a tailback. And I remember that during high school, that we would go and we'd, have, we'd do our stretches and all those things. And the first thing that we would do is we'd run six plays. These, and the coach would say, Coach Clark would say, guys, these are the six plays that we're going to run in the game. And you better get them right. Okay. And so we'd run. I was playing quarterback that day, and I remember running a screen. How many guys are with me? No, I've lost a lot of people right there. It was going to be a pass play. All right? It was going to be a pass play right behind the line of scrimmage. Everyone's going to really attack the quarterback, and you're going to go for a screen play. And I remember Shields was going to receive the pass. And I go back to pass, I land it to Shields, and Shields turns, and whack, knocks over coach. <laughs> knocks him to the ground. I'm like, oh no. Shields, your life is over right here at football practice. <laughs> and we all, it, it was like a, you could hear a pin drop. No one said a word. Everybody's just looking. And Chris knows. Shields, he knows He's done something very wrong. And, and, and coach, he gets up and he's as red as can be. And he says, Shields, I'm not mad that you knocked me over. I'm mad because you ran the play wrong. <laughs> oh, it's so much. It was so funny. We laughed and we, we man, we, we jeered at him and we said, man, you knocked coach over. I, you lived. You get to go to practice another day. You're our hero. <laughs> Listen, when you get knocked down, remember this. You've got to make sure that you run the play right. And understanding what happens in life, you've got to know what God's word says. Here is the playbook. And if you don't run according to the playbook, someone's going to get knocked down and seriously injured. And don't let it be you in life. J.B. Phillips offers this memorable phrase, we may be knocked down, but we are never knocked out. If you live long enough, you'll be hit with a sucker punch sooner or later. Mike Tyson famously remarked these, this, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. 
<laughs> and also, if you get your ear bit off, just going to add that. <laughs> it usually doesn't happen right. If you live long enough, you'll be punched in the mouth more than once. And sometimes you'll see the blow coming, and more often it comes out of nowhere. You see, the term struck down refers to that sudden emergency, that unforeseen incident, that late night phone call that comes so late at night, the crisis that seems to come out of nowhere, that catastrophe that overwhelms us, that earthquake of trouble that kind of just rocks our world in life. Do we get stressed? Yes, we do. Do we have complications sometimes? Yes, we do. Do we go through conflict? Yes. Do we get knocked down in life? Yes, that's life. That's reality. That's the truth of every follower of Jesus Christ. But we are not destroyed. We have hope today. We are not destroyed. So when you find yourself knocked down in life, remember two things real quickly. There is victory in and through Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 simply says this, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. You see, Christ offers victory through trouble, not victory apart from trouble. We face danger around every corner. Paul's view of victory means this. Yes, I face trouble every day and sometimes I despair of my own life. I'm under pressure all the time. I get confused. People attack me. Sometimes I get knocked down by life. But that's where the power of Christ shows up to help me. That's where I realize that the vessel that I am, that inside that vessel is the power of Christ. That has to show himself to be what he's called me to be. And he does. When you find yourself knocked down, number two, run to the cross. Run to the cross of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3 simply says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance. In other words, press on. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before me endured the cross, scorning its shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart today. Man, isn't that truth today? Isn't that what you needed today? Understand, Christ went through all that for us. He was flogged 39 times. He was spit upon. They took the staff and beat him over the head. And then took that staff probably and handed it to the friends. So they could vent their anger and their hatred at Jesus Christ. He may have been down, but he was certainly not out. And perhaps the Lord is using the hardships of life today to draw you to him at this very moment. And if so, then my advice is very simple. Run to the cross. Run to the cross. And allow Jesus to hold you and to help you through life. You see, do all who have experienced an agonizing defeat, I close with these words. Because of whatever reason, listen to these words. You may be at the end of your rope, but you are not at the end of your hope. You may be down in deep ditches, 
of defeat and despair, but you need not stay there. Through Christ, you can get up and go again. As someone has put it, man's extremity is God's opportunity in your life. When you are at your worst, God is at his best. When you are down, God is up. When you can't, God can. When you're at rock bottom, God begins to work. It's true. He fixes broken hearts. He fixes broken hopes. He fixes broken homes. He fixes broken health. There is not a problem that Christ cannot fix. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And simply what he does is he brings beauty out of ugly situations. He wants to help you today. And let me say this again. Whether you've been at church a week, a year, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. I think it's time to lay some things down. The altar is your friend. See, I've been going to church for years and years and years. I I, I remember going a long time ago. But you know what? There may be someone here today that needs to take a step of faith and say, you know what? I'm going to go today. I need to lay some things down. So what we're going to do around these altars this morning, we're going to simply do this. We're going to pray for broken hearts. We're going to pray for broken homes. We're going to pray for broken hopes, broken health. If you're sick in body, if you feel hard pressed on every side, you are not crushed. If you are perplexed, you are not in despair this morning. If you are persecuted, you are not abandoned. And you may, be a, you may have been knocked down, but you are not destroyed this morning. God is able to do immeasurably more than I could ever ask or think or imagine because of His power that is in each and every one of us. Would you stand with me this morning? And as the altar workers begin to prepare and come to the front as we're going to pray in just a few moments, I want you to just be open to the Lord right now. We're, we're going to get the oil out and we're going to anoint you if you need healing in your body, if you are broken, if you are hurting. Listen, if you need the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life this morning, would you simply just ask him? Tell one of these altar workers, I need the Lord this morning. I need his help today. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer right now. And at the end of this simple prayer, people are already coming. I want you to come. You can come at any moment if you need prayer this morning. And we're going to pray that God does something incredible at these altars this morning. You're going to leave it down. You don't have to carry it outside anymore. You can leave it right here this morning and give Him those hurts and those heartaches. Lord, we thank You that today is an awesome day. That God, that people are going to be responding even right now. They're going to lay those broken things down. Broken hopes, broken dreams, broken health, broken homes, whatever it may be. But Lord, I pray that there would be no fear in this place. God, that as you've moved in our hearts, we know that simple call that you are whispering in our ear that we need to step out and that we need to cast all these cares on you because you care for us. And that as we do that this morning, that we're going to expect your comfort and you're going to work mightily. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.